This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The Car Guys Report Informed Automotive is up next, but first take a listen to this other fine OPI show. On this week's Minutia Man with Rick and Dave. Impregnating identical twins. Somebody who really hates Tom Brady. Dr. Fauci baseball card. My brush with a 1980s movie star. And a snippet from our interview with comedian Abby Sanchez. All that in unlimited tangents. Listen to Minutia Men on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Certainly glad to have you with us. I'm Mark Vernon, along with Lou Costable, and this is another episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. And Lou, uh, we had you on assignment for uh, a little while, and you're back uh, and uh, suntan, rested and ready. I'm sure your basement is dry, and that's always a good thing for those of us that have basements. I'm luckily uh, a person that does not have a basement in their house. My house is built on a slab, so I don't have to worry about okay. anything with uh, sump pumps or anything like that. So, But I do miss the storage uh, capability uh, of a basement. So you've got uh, you've got a nice uh, one up there on me. But um, wanted to uh, take some time. I know, uh, Lou, I had mentioned this on a previous podcast where, when you weren't sitting here. Or on the phone, but um, I, you know, we always like to start each show talking about what's going on in our car world and everything. And lo and behold, Lou, I've decided to uh, put the uh, 1992 Corvette C4 up for sale. And uh, with a little bit of luck, it's going to be uh, picked up pretty soon. It's going to go on consignment as I've been selling any car I've decided to sell in the last uh, five years. I've done on consignment, and I, I like that method just because it's out of sight, out of mind. You don't have to worry about it. I got her all cleaned up and waiting for the uh, shipper to come and pick it up. It's going to go to uh, the place that I've been using for the last five years, uh, GR Auto Gallery in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I've had good luck with them. They, they, they don't really specialize in any particular make or model. I mean, they have a, a ton of great, uh, very wide uh, variety of cars uh, that they have for sale. A lot of, obviously, classics and, and muscle cars and special interest autos. Uh, the occasional luxury car, uh, late model luxury car, but they do seem to get a lot of Corvettes and a lot of Porsches. So we'll see how it goes. I'll keep everyone informed on uh, the way it's going to uh, take to, uh, how long it's going to take to get that car sold. It can any, I've had cars moving as quickly as four to six weeks. And then I've had other stuff that's taken six months and it's just, uh, with the, uh, economy, the way it is now, uh, who knows if people are buying, uh, you know, special interest, classic collector cars or whatever. But, uh, I, you, you know, I, it was a year ago, Lou, that you were outside the Car Guys Report warehouse and you were pouring over my new Corvette. Uh, and now I'm I'm putting up for sale. Are you shocked or are you just saying, yeah, I figured you'd do that? Uh, no, I didn't figure you'd do that, quite really? honestly. I was, uh, I'm not shocked, but um, uh, I thought you'd hold on to that one for a while. I think uh, uh, I, I think the reason why is is I'm kind of over it. I guess um, I totally get now that I've owned a Corvette. Uh, I totally get what Corvettes are all about. Uh, I, I totally understand the allure and and the, the the reason why people a lot of people buy these cars. I totally get that. I think that the thing that 
maybe didn't thrill me too much is the fact that I'm obviously in 92, this car was almost state of the art. I mean, it had, uh, you know, a powerful engine. It had a computer controlled transmission. It had adjustable suspension. It had early, uh, version of, uh, traction control. Um, you know, a space frame chassis, great handling, decent acceleration, all that. But 28 years down the line, it's not exactly, you know, state of the art anymore. And it was just a little bit too crude, I think, for me. Um, mainly the fit and finish, which I've, I know I've said on this program before that, you know, Corvettes were never known for their, at least until recently, never known for their quality of their fit and finish. The interior is pretty much an abomination of just hard plastic and ill-fitting panels and things like that and just the way the body would just creak and crone over creak and groan over every you know expansion joint and and bump in the road with the with the plastic body panels and stuff i I think that was just a little bit you know a a little bit too much for me i mean i'm getting older i'm not a i'm not an old fart by any means but you know it's not as refined even as your as your is your brute viper you know your viper is a 2005 is it 2006 yeah 2006 um I would say that uh, from your description, I mean, uh, I think the fit and finish is fine on a 2006, so it's not oh, yeah. that. But you're you're definitely, um, you're you know you're you're uh, you're driving a uh, skateboard, which means that you know you're going to hear every bump, you're going to hear every you know roll on the ground and and, and things like that. So, um, um, yeah, no, I mean, if it didn't fit your taste. Uh, I commend you for uh, having the uh, knowledge of when to say, let's go. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, that's what I tend to do if I buy something and I'm I'm not really bonding with it that much. You know, I'll keep it for a year to make sure and then, you know, get rid of it. And I think one other reason why I kind of decided to... To, uh, to to sell it is because I wasn't too thrilled about having to spend, uh, you know, $1,000 to get the heater core uh, replaced. Of course, that's something that not unexpected in a 28-year-old car to go out, but that just kind of put a damper on things with me, too, because... You know, I don't know what else may or may not go wrong with that car. It's a, it's a solid vehicle. That's the only real failure that I had in the in the year, a little over a year that I've owned it. But you know, the car is not worth that much anyway to begin with. It's about a ten thousand dollar car. So there's just something about dumping you know potentially thousands of dollars into a car that you know is only ultimately worth ten thousand dollars. That to me, not that it's. You know, I've done, believe me, I've done that many times before, and I'll probably do it many times in the future, too. But that was kind of one of the things, too. But, um, you know, I like, like, compared to the Aston Martin, I mean, the Aston Martin is loud, and it's visceral, and it's powerful, but it is a little bit more refined. It's not as refined as I thought it would be, and that's a 2002. The, the newer ones, I'm sure, are even more GT-oriented, even though they're still very muscular and visceral in their sound and their driving. But, you know, the, the Aston is a little more uh, cultured, I would, I would say, compared to the Corvette. The Corvette's, a, you know, to me it was more like just a, a pure muscle car, even, even though it's considered a more or less a sports car, um, sports slash muscle maybe. But, um, you know, I, I still have a, a vision, too, maybe down the line of getting a later model Corvette, like a C7, I think, uh, are the ones that seem to be basically other than the new c8s the c7s 
uh, was a very good car. It got a lot of great reviews. It's been tamed down a little bit as far as the ride and the and the comfort and the fit and finish is up there too. So that's where I stand right now on that. I just wanted to uh, to lay that one on you, so to speak. And um, you know, I'd be shocked. I think if you ever said, uh, "Hey, Mark, I'm selling the Viper," <laughs> like yeah. you've never entertained well, that, have you? I haven't entertained it. However, let, let me mention that um, uh, I think the C7 is probably a tremendous value right now. Oh, it is. With the, with the C8 coming out, it, it almost, you know, just take that price, at sticker price, and just throw it out the window because now they're not going to be able to give those cars away compared to the C8. So well, I've been pricing them just, just to, to see because I've got something else up my sleeve, too, and I'll, I'll talk about that in the next episode. <laughs> but I have priced the C7s, and they're, I've found them as low as, you know, obviously when this show airs, it'll be, It'll be some, you know, somewhat in the future. So what I'm saying now may or may not still be accurate. But I've I saw new supposedly. I mean, you're seeing these ads online, like on a website like Cars.com, which I found recently that a lot of those ads from dealers are basically cars that they don't have in stock anymore, even though the the ad is still up there. And you contact the dealer and they go, oh, that sold a long time ago. But here's another one we can interest you in. And I think those ads just kind of stay up there. But I was seeing brand new uh, C7s uh, for about four, I want to say like 47,000, 48,000, which isn't bad. I mean, that's a base model. That's not a, you know, but that was with an automatic and still a hell of a car. And for 40, you know, upper 40s, brand new. That's a steal. That's like ten grand off list is what it was. And I'm sure if you found somebody that's got one on their lot that they just want to get rid of, you could hopefully wheel and deal a little bit. But you're right. Entirely right. C7s, I think, are a great value right now. But I do. I still think I'm, I'm holding to this prediction, too, that once the C8s get more popular and there's more of the C8s on the road, I still think there's going to be somewhat of a resurgence in looking back at the other Corvette, the traditional rear drive models, and that may or may not cause the prices of those older models to go up a little bit because I just think there's going to be a certain nostalgia factor there because I actually finally uh, saw my first C8 uh, in person. I know you've seen them in person. A man in the field, Roger Rexroad, has seen them as well. I saw one about a week ago parked in a, a driveway as I was um, driving past and it was gray and it had the black uh, boomerang on it and it looked good but it's wide and it doesn't you know if you don't know what it is you would never guess that it's a Corvette I mean it looks like a Ferrari or a McLaren or something like that and I think that's what's going to be freaking most people out but um, it was good to finally see one of those you know in the wild so to speak and speaking of stuff that I've spotted on the roads lately we always like to talk about cars we see in our daily uh, travels um, I've actually seen this car a couple of times because it's parked at a uh, repair facility, apparently owned by the person that runs the facility because they have a lot of class. seems like they have a lot of classics and, and stuff coming in and out of this place. But a nice looking 53 Buick two door hardtop, white over dark green. You don't see too many early 50s Buicks these days, the big toothy grill and all that. So it's nice to see that. Also a classic in anybody's book, a 56 Ford pickup, dark blue. Uh, uh, definitely a uh, yeah, dark blue. And then I saw a couple of McLarens. One, I, I would call it, and I don't know, maybe you know what this is, because you seem to, to be into the paint colors more than me. What do you call that, that paint color that kind of changes color as you look at it? You know, it goes from like purple to like green to silver. You know what I'm talking about, right? I do. Give me just a second. I'm going to answer that question. 
I'm looking it up. Uh, you know, remember this, ladies and gentlemen, too, that Lou is just sitting at home right now in his, in his boxer shorts and T-shirt. So uh, <laughs> it's a good thing we don't have video on this because uh, <clears throat> it might not be suitable for work, so to speak. <laughs> But it's that color-changing paint. And usually I see it on, like, Mustangs for whatever reason. And I don't think it's ever a factory color. I don't know if it's a wrap these days. It might be easier to do a wrap that way. I got that color. Give me just a second. I'm going to have that color for you. Because to your point, I made sure I wrote that one down. Um, I saw that on a P1 McLaren. Yeah, so yeah, I saw it on on a McLaren as well on the street. And I'm like, whoa. Maybe okay, we saw so the same car. Go. I don't know. Here, here you go. I'm going to spell it because I probably will butcher it if I try to say it. It's C-E-R-B-E-R-U-S. Severus? Severus? Severus. Yeah. Severus Pearl Paint. Okay. And that's the color changing. C-E-R-B-E-R-U-S. U-S paint. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so you go by it, it starts to look purple, then it turns kind of brown, then it yeah. almost gets kind of burgundy. Yeah, and then, yeah, uh, and green, there's always a green a, in there at it times. It might have a hue of blue or something. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, crazy stuff. I saw that on a McLaren, and I'm like, I had to do a double take on that, because it actually made the car, I, I think it was a McLaren. I mean, my, my best guess that it was a McLaren, I thought it was an R8 Audi at first, and then I'm like, no, I think that's a McLaren. But with that color-changing paint, too, it kind of makes, <laughs> kind of makes it hard to, to figure out. I mean, what do you put down on your, uh, on your title and your, um, and your insurance card? Uh, what, what color is Subarus paint? <laughs> right. Well, two things. One is, one is um, you can see that color. If you go to My Car Story with Lou on YouTube, My Car Story with Lou, and then punch up McLaren P1, that's probably a lot easier to remember than Sybaris Pearl P. Exactly. Cool. So, so you've uh, got, of course, you've got yeah. one on, on the site. I mean, that, I, that's a that's a uh, you know a done a, gone, a foregone conclusion, right? So, well, I mean, this is the only P1 I've got on the channel right now, <laughs> so it's, it'll be easy to find it. McLaren P1. Uh, also, Mark, what is that email website? Our uh, email, email address website? is carguysreport at hotmail dot com, and that. Yep. Uh, email inbox is always open. Also, too, I saw this is this is a true story too, Lou. I was at the Car Guys Report warehouse one weekend, and um, I looked outside, and there was a, a '49 Ford pickup in light metallic green. I'm pretty sure it was a uh, mildly resto modded. It definitely had a V8 in it, and I don't know if it had. Uh, it wouldn't be the the flathead, I don't think, but uh, it sounded like it had a later model V8 in it. But it was. Um, Nice-looking, light green, metallic 49 Ford pickup. And what made it especially interesting, and I would have gone over to the gentleman uh, with my mask and my gloves on if, if I had it with me, but I didn't. My girlfriend, literally, the day before, because she's always, whenever she's at the store, she looks at the Hot Wheels and the, and the matchboxes they have, and sometimes she surprises me with one of those. She literally got me wait, a hot... Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Hold <laughs> the phone, hold the phone. Your girlfriend... Is at the grocery store looking through Hot Wheels for Yes, you? exactly. Wow. And she surprises me. I mean, sometimes she doesn't remember why, all the stuff I this, have. Why does this girl have the title girlfriend rather than wife? <laughs> That's a long story, Lou. We're committed right, to each other. Okay, We've been together right. for 16 years. Wow. So. That's yeah. that's that's quite the young lady. Who, well, well, see, that's the difference between dating and wife. There, as, soon as, you, <laughs> as soon as you go into wife... 
she won't be looking at Hot Wheels for me anymore, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, it's funny because sometimes she forgets what she gets me. And literally, I have like, I think, three or four orange lotus uh, esprits. And I'm keeping them in the box now because it's like, okay, honey, I already have like three or four of these. But but this one was a brand new one she got me. It was a Hot Wheels, and it was a 49 Ford pickup in light green. So it was almost the exact vehicle that I saw outside the Car, Car Guys Report warehouse. And like I said, if I would have actually had the Hot Wheels with me, I would have gone over and just given it to the guy saying, hey, here, you know, here's a model of your car all ready to go. That doesn't yeah. happen too often. So it, it was it was kind of fun. And I called it uncanny that that actually happened. And literally the day later, which was also too, the timing was, was, was good on that. So wanted to... Uh, share that with you yeah it was cool be sure to tell a friend about the car guys report it's available on spotify you can go to opishows.com also available online at radiomisfits.com follow us at car guys podcast on twitter and of course that email address that we just bestowed upon you is car guys report at hotmail.com anything you'd like to send us uh suggestions complaints compliments kudos uh thumbs up whatever uh send it to carguysreport at hotmail.com got a couple of uh aston martin things to talk about here lou uh found this online uh, recently and you know me i don't really like v6 engines i just don't like the sound they make i'm just not enamored with them and unfortunately you know, like a, a twin turbo V6 has kind of become the replacement for a, a V8 in, in a lot of cars. And Aston Martin is uh, getting in on the uh, action. This comes from a publication called Roadshow that I found online. It's called the Aston Martin TM01 Turbo V6. It's its first in-house engine since 1968. So that's going back 52 years. And... Um, it's a, a twin turbo a V6. Not a lot of information available on it, but um, says it's almost as big as a V8, but doesn't sound as good or make as much horsepower. I.e., that's why I'm not crazy about V6 engines. It doesn't sound as cool. Doesn't sound as good. That just cracks me up. But Aston Martin is looking to not only uh, join but dominate with its new what they're calling a hot V V6 engine that's going to debut in the Valhalla supercar. And for those of you that are not um, tuned into exactly what the hot V uh, setup is, that's where they put the the turbochargers on top of the engine between the uh, cylinder banks. And um, it's more efficient. They get less turbo lag and they respond quicker. So that's why they're doing that. Mercedes has been doing that for a while now. And I believe Porsche does it as well on some of their uh, V6 engines. But the uh, engine, as I said, is codenamed TM01 after famed Aston engineer Tadic Merrick. And it's the first uh, brand's first uh, in-house designed engine since 1968. And it's uh, they say it's going to power a whole series of mid-engine. There you go, Aston Martin sports cars. So they're following the Corvette route. Um, why is the uh, TM01 AV6? Well, despite the layout's previously mentioned shortcomings in sound and power, in a mid-engine car, those have less impact. The short length of the engine compared with an inline motor, of course, is a benefit, particularly when the car's gearbox is laid out behind it. And as they say, whacking some big turbos on it will solve any power deficit issues. 
They uh, Aston Martin has confirmed it will release that it would be uh, in its release press release that it would be a three liter engine uh, in displacement and that all variants would be electrified in some way, shape or form. So the pundits are saying that it could be a mild hybrid variant, uh, something that you're seeing in uh, some of the German cars right now where it's got like a 48 motor a 48-volt uh, electric motor assist. It's not really a, a whole hybrid setup like a Toyota a Prius or anything like that, but it's made to uh, augment um, the power uh, as needed and also runs a lot of uh, electric accessories like water pumps, uh, actually running uh, auxiliary like turbo compressors and things like that too. But no specific specifications yet on horsepower or torque from this new Aston Martin V6, but it uh, should be interesting to see uh, what's going to happen. It weighs about 440 pounds. It will feature a dry sump oil system, which a lot of Porsches have. That's where uh, that's to prevent uh, oil from sloshing around from one side to another so you don't get starvation if you're racing the car in tight turns. Uh, better oil control, obviously, possibly starvation on the track, like I just said. And um, according to uh, CEO of Aston Martin, Andy Palmer, he said, investing in our own powertrain is a tall order, but our team has risen to the challenge and moving forward. This power unit will be integral to a lot of what we do, and the first signs of what this engine will achieve is incredibly promising. But uh, on the other flip side of the coin, this is not what, what Palmer is saying, but it says the move to develop its own engines is a huge one for Aston Martin and also represents a massive financial risk for the company. I know that at least part of Aston Martin went public and uh, in order to raise money. That happened, I uh, believe, sometime last year. But they've always been one of these companies um, that has had independent ownership. They were owned by Ford for a while back in the late 90s and, and, and early 2000s. And they've always kind of been one of these companies, kind of like Lotus and a lot of those other small boutique manufacturers that are always kind of like on the brink of either staying in business or going out of business. But I know that recently Aston Martin was announcing some layoffs as well, too. So I don't know exactly um, what that means for, for the continued development of the Valhalla supercar. I just love that name. But uh, we'll see... Uh, what happens. And of course, uh, being tuned into Aston Martin to some degree will definitely keep you informed here on the uh, Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Mark Vernon along with Lou Costable. And Lou, you know, it had to happen. Yep. Yeah, it did. Guess what? Well, <laughs> I, I'm, re I'm reading our notes, so I know what happened. <laughs> Aston Martin got a ticket. You got a ticket in the Aston Martin. No. A British motorist named Aston Martin has been banned from driving after being caught doing 93 miles an hour in a 30-mile-an-hour oh. zone while okay, leading police. I, I thought you were telling me you were going to get a no, ticket no. you're Aston Martin. No. A guy named Aston Martin, of course, his first name spelled A-S-T-I-N, not O-N, but uh, his name is Aston Martin. He was doing 93 and a 30 while he led police on a dramatic chase. Martin, who is 30 years old, his full name is Aston Martin O'Brien, pleaded guilty to dangerous driving for his escapade, which uh, ended when he crashed his Ford Fiesta into a wall. <laughs> 
I mean, he's driving the wrong car, first of all. I mean, if you're aiming aim Aston Martin, damn it, go out and get an Aston Martin. Uh, don't drive a Ford Fiesta. He might be called Aston Martin, but he's no James Bond, said Northumbria Police Superintendent Helena Barron, and he'll need to get used to public transportation for the time being. So I just thought that was a pretty <laughs> pretty funny story. A little play on words there. It was, sure. it was hilarious. I mean, it would be pretty funny to, to you know, show your show your license to the guy that's pulling you over and he's like Aston Martin yeah right mm-hmm. yeah well that's my name that's what it says right well, there so well when I was when I was looking at the notes I thought and speaking of Aston Martin he got a ticket I thought you were talking about you so uh I'm glad that you didn't get a ticket yeah and so am I not that I'm, not that I'm glad for <laughs> Aston Martin but uh yeah, that's that's quite the interesting story. Ninety three and a thirty two. I, I got to commend him for that, though. That's uh, that's that's doing it right. If you're going to get a ticket, yeah. you might as well go all out, right? Yeah, you know, you got to have a story at the pub. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got to drink those warm pints of beer from that Lucas refrigerator and say, "Hey, Austin, how you doing? Oh, blokes, I got a ticket. Doing ninety three and a 30. Yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> that is good. So, just wanted to share that with our uh, with our audience here because I'm sure that. And if you have any, you know, friends that have weird names, you know, like uh, weird car oriented names, you know, you can send them along to us at carguysreport at hotmail dot com. We'd love to see uh, what other people with car names uh, who might be lurking out there, but. We're at the point in the program, Lou, where we always like to talk about uh, interesting car that uh, has recently sold or is for sale either uh, online or in some various other uh, source, auctions, things like that. But this comes from, I know we, we sound like a sounding board whenever we talk about bring a trailer. And believe me, we're not getting any financial compensation whatsoever. We're giving them free publicity. Uh, bring a trailer is an auction site uh, kind of tends to cater to uh, collectible, vintage, classic, special interest, unique autos, uh, over 200 um, active auctions at any one time on uh, bringatrailer.com. So if you haven't uh, checked it out ever, uh, do so. But this one actually got some traction, too. It was interesting. After I found it uh, online, I saw it popping up in some of those other online uh, blurb things like on MSN. And, Lou, it might sound pretty pretty staid at the start. It's a 1967 Ford Country Squire station wagon. So it's a big family truckster. It's got the fake wood siding. It's got the roof rack. Uh, this one needs a little love in the paint department. But what made this interesting, Lou, and this is, I just love finding cars like this, and I'm so glad that they actually exist because I don't think you could get away with this today. This was a special order, 1967 Ford Country Squire station wagon. Now get this, Lou, special order with a 428 and a 4 on the floor. Wow. In a station wagon with bucket seats and a console. Bucket seats in your wagon. And a center console with the 4-speed. Now this, I mean, hopefully the VIN number, you know, the, the fender tag says all that. Oh it, no, it was it was there. It had the provenance. It had a, a letter that the original owner wrote um, to the president of Ford at the time, saying, "I want a special order this car," and it was a 428 Q code special order, four speed on the floor, bucket seats, and it was. I'm pretty sure it was one of one. And, you know, back oh, in the yeah. day, you could do that. You could go in and say, look, I just want, you know, not only ordering a car, but I want to order the stuff that you have in your, that you offer for other models, but you don't offer for this, but you could, you know, obviously put it in there if I'm willing to pay up for it. And I just think it's like so cool because 
once this car gets restored, it was sold by the host of the show Barn Find Hunter. He owned the car most recently. And, I mean, like I said, in the picture that I see, you know, the paint needs a little love. The body looks pretty straight. I don't see any rust on it. But it's got the full provenance, so it was not, you know, it was born like that with the 428 in it. And the price, it sold for $47,750, which is obviously a premium for a, for a family truckster. We've talked about a couple of family truckster type wagons and you know we did a caprice wagon before on the program we talked about uh i think a, a pontiac uh wagon from the mid 70s and those were achieved pretty good prices 20 25 30, so this one i think it actually sold at a pretty good price because it's just a unique car i mean it'd be like the ultimate sleeper because it just looks like a plain jane station wagon until you look inside and under the hood and you see that 428 and i think the coolest thing is that it's got bucket seats with the four on the floor it's just so awesome and and it still has the, the rear-facing jump seats in the back. So, <laughs> Scott, you, you put the kids right on the back glass. Exactly, exactly. You step on it, they're all pressed against the back <laughs> glass. Th- aren't we there yet? <laughs> I just think it's so cool. Okay, kids, we'll get there. So I, I kind of have a feeling, since this car got a little bit of traction, that we might see it somewhere along the line again. Maybe whoever bought it's going to you know, hopefully treat it to the restoration that it needs so it gets cleaned up and presentable. Because I just think it's a neat car, and it might even show up in a, in a big auction like Barrett-Jackson at some point, too. But you're just never going to find, you know, the only one ever out there. And if you wanted it, you know, obviously someone paid up for it. Uh, 67 Ford Country Squire Station Wagon, a 428 Q Code with a four-speed on the floor, center console, and bucket seats. You can't beat that. If you like the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive, be sure to check out some of the other programs that are available on the Radio Misfits podcast network, like the Opie Show called Minutemen Celebrity Interview. Rick Kempfer and Dave Stern interview celebrities every week as the name Minutia Men uh, implies, Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. I'm calling them Minutemen, but hey, they're, they're minutia all the way. The interviews often delve into lesser-known details of well-known celebrities or examinations into celebrities that aren't as well-known, but somehow they're still celebrities. Fun, compelling, and memorable. The show is called Minutia Men Celebrity Interviews. It's an OPI show. You can go to opishows.com or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits, and that's where you'll find us. The Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. So glad to uh, have you with us. Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable. Lou, how familiar are you with the uh, brand car brand from 1930 to 1935 called the American Austin Car Company. Well, um, that's a Bantam, yep. and those are our mini cars. Yep, very small. So they almost look like real cars, but kind of shrunk. Kind of so a, almost like an overgrown pedal car in a way. I was just, just going to say that. I was just going to say it's like a, a bigger pedal car. With uh, with a motor in it. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, I came across, this was an article that uh, one of the uh, publications I subscribe to is called the Vintage Truck Magazine. And it's basically trucks, uh, SUVs, pickup trucks, and, and stuff like Jeeps. And they had this uh, article on the American Austin and American Bantam car companies. I'll just read a little bit of verbatim here just to set it up a little bit. The American Austin Car Company operated from 1930 to 35. An American Bantam 
car company from 1937 through 1953, and they were never taken all that seriously while in business. This lack of respect is surprising because the automakers developed one of the most efficient and effective vehicles of World War II, which was the Jeep. They had a definite hand in that. They were incorporated in 1929. American Austin built the UK's diminutive 1922 to 1929 Austin 7 under license as the Bantam. That's the one we were just talking about, Lou, in a factory in Butler, Pennsylvania. Strangely, the British and American cars had no interchangeable parts, um, partly because at that time, the uh, uh, Europeans obviously were still were on the metric system. We were on the uh, standard um, standardized uh, American fasteners here. So bear in mind that the American Austin components are sourced in the U.S. using standard SAE hardware instead of uh, British standards. So actually, the British might not have been on uh, totally on the metric system. And maybe it was like the Imperial standard. If you know. Email us at carguysreport at hotmail.com. But to say the Bantam was smaller than even the most economical cars in the United States was an understatement. It had a 75-inch wheelbase and was 28 and a half inches shorter than Ford's modest yet stylish Model A. The Bantam had a 46-cubic-inch, 14-horsepower four-cylinder, and that put it at 26-horsepower uh, less than the Model A. But... Um, how they got involved in the um, development of the Jeep is pretty interesting. Factions within the U.S. Army uh, in the 1930s had wanted a light-duty, four-wheel drive utility vehicle, but minimal defense budgets during the Great Depression quelled any significant development. It wasn't until late in the 30s when the War Department saw Nazi Germany expanding its empire in Europe that the concept of a light-duty, all-in-one command car, car, scout car, and reconnaissance car was taken seriously. So in June of 1940, the Army's Quartermaster Corps requested a bid from 135 different automakers and tractor companies for a compact four-wheel drive field vehicle. The wheelbase could be no longer than 80 inches and a tread no wider than 47 inches and ground clearance of six and a quarter inches. Required payload was 600 pounds. According to the spec sheet, this amazing do-everything trucklet should tip the scales at a featherweight 1,300 pounds. So if these specifications seemed ideal for Bantam, it was no coincidence. Evans had persuaded the Pennsylvania National Guard to test three Bantam vehicles with an eye toward military use in uh, 1938. So uh, Bantam ended up being... um, the uh, only company to deliver a vehicle in time for the bidding on this um, on this uh, contract, I, they went up against uh, Willys Overland and also Ford Motor Company uh, were in play. And um, it's very interesting that obviously Bantam did not get the contract. Um, Ford uh, got the contract to be an additional supplier. Willys obviously got uh, the bulk of the contract. And all Bantam got ultimately was a contract to make T3 trailers that were to be towed behind the uh, standardized Jeeps made by both Willys and Ford. But uh, they have a picture in this article of just a cute little 1940 Bantam pickup. Uh, went across uh, the Gooding and Company auction in Scottsdale, Arizona, brought uh, $20,000. And it basically, Lou, it looks like your little uh, Bantam car, except it's a pickup truck. So <laughs> it's just, uh, it almost looks like a plaything. It looks like, you know, like you said, like, an, like we said, an oversized uh, uh, pedal car. 
But uh, Bantam continued making uh, trailers uh, after the war, but sales of the small trailers were dismal and were discontinued in 1948. Then the company uh, started making semi-truck trailers and farm equipment uh, on and off. American Bantam finally succumbed and sold all remaining assets to another Butler, Pennsylvania-based company called American Rolling Mills, or Armco, in 1956. The long-closed factory building remains in Butler, but in Asari State, despite frequent proposals to refurbish it as a Jeep museum. But we also talked about a Jeep museum that was coming in Ohio sometime, I believe, later this year. So obviously that uh, proposal didn't go through as well. But it's always kind of nice to see kind of the underdog kind of scrap along and, and you know, kind of make make some inroads into it. But definitely the, uh, the Jeep uh, would not be what it is uh, back then or what it evolved to today, obviously without... Uh, a Bant, American Bantam, American Austin, American Bantam's influence when they had that uh, contract. Do you have a, a an Austin uh, Bantam um, on the uh, on the channel, Lou? I I don't. Um, They're pretty rare, obviously. I mean, you know, I don't think I've ever seen one in person. I've seen pictures, and you would think for a cheap little car, relatively speaking, back then there'd be some that would have survived. But as is the case, since they were so cheap and kind of a throwaway, almost a novelty, I could see why people probably didn't hang on to them. Well, to, to your point, I've, I've seen a couple of them live. It seems like every time I see one, I'm usually at a car show, when I've seen one, the challenge is that it does, at least for me, it doesn't draw me into it. You know, I think if I went to some guy's house and he had just that car in the driveway, I'd probably be enamored with the fact that, you know, it's here. But it just seems that when I see one, there's just something next to it, whatever it is, that catches my attention more than mm-hmm. what it does. I, I guess I just don't take it as seriously you know, as maybe I should. I think you'd have to be at a, a micro car show, uh, which they do have from time to time. So if it's sitting there along with, you know, some Austin Americas or some Mini Coopers and some Mini Mokes and some Fiat 500s and, and a lot of those other really small cars, uh, some DAFs and things like that, maybe you would um, notice it a little bit more and pay more attention to it. But I, I know what you're saying, that it, that it almost just kind of looks like a toy. But they are actually pretty neat-looking cars. And um, they don't come up for sale too often. I have not looked for them recently. Uh, I know I, I think at one point I looked on Hemmings to see what they had, and there might be something on there now. I don't know. But I just wanted to just kind of talk about a little history there because I am a history buff, and I just think it's interesting how these companies that we've totally forgotten about have uh, you know, played a certain amount of uh, pivotal influence in the history of a, a popular vehicle, in this case, uh, the Jeep. Lou, I'm going to go wash my hands real quick. You can do the same, and we'll be back with clean hands after this. I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. On the next Back to You, we're going to tell about our encounters with Joan Cusack, Oprah, Harry Connick Jr. And JFK Jr. And talking all over And talking all over each other. (laughs) And we're going to talk about whether you should tell somebody to calm down or not. That's the next Back to You. And listen to Back to You on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. You can find Back to You on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. Relax. 
On this week's Free Kicks with Adam and Rick, we discuss the final week of the Premier League season. We'll talk about the winners and we'll talk about the losers. Top four, bottom three. So listen to Free Kicks on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts, just search for Radio Misfits. And we're back here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Mark Vernon along with uh, Lou Costable. Uh, Lou, I know you're a guy that, uh, a man of uh, of comfort and pleasure most of the times. I don't see you actually, have you ever gone out camping, RVing, anything like that? Gone out in the great uh, unknown and pitched a tent or anything? Uh, I did when I was a Boy Scout. I remember them pretty clearly throwing like spiders and snakes into my camping <laughs> attire and that was pretty much the end of my camping day. That, that was yeah. the end of it. I've never actually gone camping myself. I think I, I pitched a tent in our backyard once when I was about seven years old. But um, I've always been intrigued by wanting to, to maybe try, you know, uh, off-roading at some point. And the, the big trend these days is, is I'm sure you've heard of the, the term overlanding. No, tell me. Overlanding is, is and I'm, I you know... It, we have a, a nice following down in Australia, and I f- figure that would be kind of a hotbed of overlanding. So if we're not getting the definition quite right, let us know at carguysreport at hotmail.com. But um, overlanding is basically one step farther than just uh, going off-road with your SUV because you're kind of tending to venture out a little farther out where you're not going to be close to anything that's going to be able to save you if you get into trouble, so to speak. So you have to come well equipped with a with a vehicle that's that's very well suited for off road travel. And we're not just talking about like a like a pickup truck or a jeep or something like that. Some of these, and what I'm going to talk about shortly, are actual like truck trucks that you would see, you know, like on a on a highway or something being taken off road and doing this overlanding. Um, my girlfriend's uh, cousin did an overlanding trip in his um, Toyota 4Runner about six months ago. And he basically went off into the wild for like three or four days, and he had to have, a, you know, like solar panels, and he had to have an emergency radio and a satellite phone and things like that because you are off the grid, I mean totally off the grid. And it's it, it sounds actually pretty neat to really get that far off the grid. And what people are doing is they're driving these, these really cool vehicles. This one is called... Uh, this one is she called Moon Rover One. You no, know, it's it's something. It's called it's. <laughs> I'm trying to to find the trying to find the name of it here because sometimes I get so carried away with the stuff here um, that well, I. While you're lo- while you're looking at that, I'll I'll entertain the groups. Um, so uh, I can appreciate someone who's bare grillless who can go out there and you know catch a coyote in the wild or something like that with his hands, but. Uh, <laughs> or, or skin an alligator, you know, in front of them and uh, turn it into leather seats or something. Uh, but I don't know if I'm designed for that kind of thing. So <laughs> I, hope I'm, I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm ready to go out there and go. Gee, I think there's a rattlesnake that's circling the car now because <laughs> I can't seem to get it started. I'm sure there's a lot of rattlesnakes where these people go. It's called an FX. Is uh, what they call a a custom-built expedition machine or a super RV. And this one is called FX. That's the actually the model or the brand. $400,000 brand new, $250,000 as tested. So this was actually a used one. This comes from uh, the Wall Street Journal, Dan Neal, who is their automotive writer. And if you ever never had a chance, you wouldn't think that the Wall Street Journal has an automotive writer, but he writes at least once a week. And if you ever never... 
uh, had a chance to read any of his writings, you should because he's he's a very entertaining writer, and he and he usually knows you know ninety five percent of what he's talking about. He's he's accurate and he he's a driver. I mean, he knows cars. He's not just some some business guy they hired to write about cars. He knows about cars. But he says here, looking very much like a habitable Yeti cooler. The FX is based on a Mitsubishi Fuso medium duty truck chassis. It's a cab over design in which the face of the vehicle is flat and the driver's seat is positioned over the left wheel. Fuso's layout makes the uh, FX 21.4 feet long, 10 feet high, and 6 and 3 quarter feet wide, but it's surprisingly maneuverable in the Badlands uh, with a 10 inch ground clearance and a commanding view of the trail. It carries up to 140 gallons of water in and fuel in underslung tanks. The rollover angle is quite high, but um, the uh, owner of the company, Mr. Smith, encourages me not to investigate that rollover uh, angle. But um, why, you're wondering, is this thing cost $400,000 brand new? Well... The big difference between the Expedition vehicles and a typical RV is the use in this FX of marine-grade materials, equipment, and appliances, literally land yachts. The FX distinctive thermos-like skin is a thick sandwich composite of insulating uh, layers and uh, material like gel coat, widely used in boat construction. The cabin tree is milled out of King Starboard, which is a uh, marine-grade high-density polyethylene, and uh, he said there's not a bit of wood in it. The FX impressive control panel will be typical of large boats, including the circuit breaker panel for auxiliary systems such as lights, water pump, hot water heater, as well as a status panel for water, water battery, waste reserves, etc. Um, this FX that Dan Neal uh, tested w- was running on a diesel engine, uh, but I guess they're making um, gasoline-powered or selling gasoline-powered FXs right now. But he says the uh, diesel-fueled cooktop, which is pretty cool. I never knew a cooktop could run on diesel fuel. Upon uh, the kindly Mr. Smith cooked, cooked us bacon and eggs, and he said the next model with the gasoline engine will use an induction cooktop. So that's what you see in a high-end home. So it's pretty cool. But this thing looks literally like, like Neil said, it looks like a, a Yeti cooler on wheels. It's this big white box, but the interior is you know totally high-grade, totally durable. I mean, it's built purpose-built is what it is. It's not an RV that you're going to you know be driving around on a, on a road with a, with a slide outside and, you know, granite countertops and things like that. But it's not crude by any means. I mean, this thing is made for a purpose, and that is to go overlanding in total safety, comfort, and reliability, too, because these things have to be reliable as well. Because if you're literally, you know, 200 miles from the nearest cell site and something happens, um, you don't want to, you know, be stuck out there. But uh, overlanding is hot right now, and I think... um, Maybe because I know that RV sales are going well too because of the uh, situation with the uh, with the pandemic. People are looking to just get away somehow, and they're kind of you know getting these wheeled escape pods. I guess is the way to say it. But um, I think you and me, Lou. I mean, I wouldn't mind spending a day or two in, a, in an overlanding vehicle, but I think that's probably where I draw the line. And you know, give me uh, give me my bed and my um, my microwave and and things like that, and I'll be happy. Yeah, of course, you, that thing has a microwave. Yeah, you said it's called an FX. Mm-hmm. That's because if you get stuck, you're going to be effed. Yeah. <laughs> your girlfriend will be looking for someone else, so you'll be the X. There we go. Thanks, Lou. That's great. When you listen, when you listen to the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive, uh, you can catch us on all the great. Uh, 
platforms like Spotify, iHeart, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Uh, you can also uh, subscribe to our podcast as well. You'll get an automatic push notification every time there's new uh, content, which is once a week. And also, when you're on there, please uh, rate us, too. We've got some nice uh, five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts and would certainly like to see a few more positive comments comments come our way. And the best thing is about uh, any uh, podcast that you find on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, in addition to the Car Guys Report, any of the Radio Misfits podcasts are totally free, and it's listening on your own terms, whether it's your laptop, your desktop, your tablet, your phone, wherever you are, in the car, on the road, in your house, in the park, whatever, it's listening on your own terms. You can fast forward, rewind, replay, delete, go back and re-listen, whatever you want. That's what podcasting is all about, and it's totally free on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. You're listening to the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Mark Vernon along with uh, Lou Constable, and Lou, we're at the... um, point in the program where we're going to play the my car story guessing game so why don't you tell us about that so the rules to the game are simple i have a youtube channel called my car story and there are um over i think 1600 different videos of cars and some rides and some fun stuff for those of you who like cars which is why you're listening at this length on the channel uh, and what we do is, uh, of course, you could video a car and throw it on YouTube, and I can video a car and throw it on YouTube. But we're specifically stating on Lou's channel what this car would do. So I, I let them kind of run for a few weeks, and then I pick three cars that are all right next to each other, so all cars that came out in a week. And, we, and Mark is going to guess which one of the three cars I mentioned got the most views and the second most views, and the third, the third most. And views. sometimes so I, sometimes I fail miserably, and other times I knock it out of the park. So <laughs> I have no idea what you're what you're going to give me. So that's it's totally unrehearsed, and and it's just uh, me trying to guess, and that's what makes it fun. And you can't see the numbers, so you at home can play the game too. So Mark's the contestant on stage; you're the player at home. So I always start from the oldest first. So the oldest car, and there's three of them here, uh, this is pretty definitive of a first, second, and third place. There's some times when they're pretty close. Mm-hmm. This is not one of those times. Okay, good. So so there's going to be a clear winner and a clear loser in this group. The first one, a 1929 Ford Roadster pickup truck in black hmm. with engine sound and ride. Okay. Number two. A 1966 Dodge Monaco 500 hardtop in mauve slash light purple with a 383 engine sound. Rare, rare factory color, I assume? Yes. And lastly, a 1978 Buick Regal sports coupe in blue with the 3.8 liter, tur- 3.8 liter turbo, turbo engine sound. Yeah. Okay, I'll probably get this wrong, but... Would you like me to go through those three again? Sure. No, you you can run them down again. 1929 Ford Roadster pickup truck in black, engine sound and ride. I will give you one hint. It's lowered. Number two, a 66 Dodge Monaco 500 hardtop in mauve. And number three, a 78 Buick Regal sports coupe in blue with a 3.8 liter turbo engine sound. Okay, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say the, the the Buick V6 Turbo is number one. The Ford pickup is number two. 
and the Monaco is number three. And I probably totally got them all out of order, but that's those are my guesses. Okay, so the number one is the Dodge Monaco it is. 500 See? hardtop and mauve. So your third pick was number one. You're, this you're, you're tricking me. Okay. With 7,834 views. Wow. What do you think it was the color? Or just the... Uh, I mean, how many Dodge Monacos do you f- see, basically? That, I think... Well, here's the funny part to that, Mark. Now, I, I've said this before. There's no rhyme or reason what, what becomes number one of the three. I mean, I'll throw all three cars up, and I may think it's the Regal because everybody had a Regal, and everybody knows what a Regal is. Nobody knows what a Dodge Monaco 500 is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, so the fact that this one was the winner of the three um, is, is crazy. And now, okay, so number two, which was your number one pick, was the Buick Regal Sports Coupe, which had 4,136. Okay. And in the last, and in the last place <clears throat> was, the pick was the pickup with 1,481. Wow. That doesn't surprise me because I just think that those older, you know, uh, 20s and 30s cars, unless it's like a Duesenberg or something really flashy, they just don't really get that much attention. And I'm not surprised by the Monaco being number one, but the reason I put the Buick in there is because on a previous episode, I was talking with our man in the field, Roger Rexroad, and you know everyone thinks about the the Buick GNXs, and they kind of forget that the Buick also put the turbo, not the exact engine, but the turbo V6 in just like a base model or relatively base model uh, Regal, and not a not a GNX, yeah. and that's what people, yeah. you know, and that's the to me that would be the wow factor. Like, man, I I kind of remember those, and th- but okay, good, so. I uh, failed miserably. <laughs> so stay tuned next time when you see Mark take another crack at the next three cars. At the, and you too. And Mark, what's that email again where is, people want to? It is carguysreports at hotmail.com. And don't forget, too, that uh, Lou's YouTube channel is called My Car Story with Lou, over 1,600 uh, great and very uh, unique and entertaining car videos. And what, about 70,000 uh, subscribers so far, too? Uh, by the time this airs, we'll be at 80,000. Wow, that's amazing. That is really an impressive uh, accomplishment. So, good. And, of course, we always like playing the Car Guys Report here, uh, our Car Guys Report guessing game here on the Car Guys Report. Coming up on the next episode of this podcast, the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive, we got uh, 10 collector cars that are moving up in value, a super Lego Bugatti, and much more. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with Opie Shows dot com opi is hippo spelled backwards o p p i h shows dot com also a big thanks to uh, everyone that uh, has taken the time to listen to our uh, show today thanks so much for taking us along for the ride mark vernon along with luke costable uh the uh car guys report informed automotive distributed by ed silha with radio misfits great talk radio isn't dead it just moved to a better place and that would be radio misfits.com This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The proceeding was a presentation of OPI Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. 
Thank you. This has been a presentation of Old Pie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? On the next episode of And Friends, <laughs> we play the game of life. Talking daddies. Oh! Dad jokes to sexy daddies. Daddies are a game. Technology's a game. Love is a game. All that and more this week on And Friends. <laughs> And Friends is not responsible for what you and your daddy do, whether it be your daddy or not your daddy. Do diddy wah, diddy wah, do wah, do. Listen to And Friends on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. What do you get when you hear a celebrity minutiaman interview, Dave? Rick, think of Dan Rather and Bill Maher having a kid. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. So you'll get minutia. Right. What does a Damone from Fast Times at Ridgemont High really think about the movie? Only right? one place to find out. Out, and that celebrity minutiaman interview, a Tony Lasano podcast. Go to opishows.com or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive, Lego pulls out all the stops with their stunning rendition of a Bugatti Chiron. Plus, what car features do you really need? I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Constable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.